You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Well, good morning, Kensington. Let's go ahead and stand as we worship Jesus this morning. Lord, I confess I've been a criminal Stole your bread And sang my own
Sorry, I wasn't sure if I was red or blue. Hey, good morning, everybody. How's it going today? So good to see you all come back. What a great way to start the day. Thank God the stone was rolled away. And if you were here for Easter, you know we had an incredible time of celebration. We're so glad that you're here. You guys can grab a quick seat. So good to see you. You're here for the first week of a new series called Beginnings, where we're going to talk about the early church. And I'm going to begin by telling you my name's Susan. I'm part of the Orient team. And welcome to all of you streaming. We're so glad that you're here. It's going to be a great day. A couple quick things I want you to know about. Next week is, hands down, one of my favorite events here at this campus, and it's baptisms. So I would love for you right now to think about anybody you know, who may be interested in being baptized. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's that time to just come up. Baptism is a perfect time. You know, faith is kind of our unity with Christ, right? But baptism symbolizes that union. And that's what I love just for everyone to know. It's a public proclamation of your faith in Jesus. And we would love for you to consider that for next week or consider who may be interested. I know we have a few people already registered questions on what that looks like, go on out to the hub. There'll be somebody out there that can walk you through it. So we would love to have you do that. All right. We want to celebrate a couple of things. We want to talk about a couple of things. So Craig's going to come up and help me with that. He was slow. I was supposed to give him the nod. Good morning, y'all. <laughs> Good morning. Hey, listen, the week after Easter is always a little bit like the Monday after the Super Bowl. Yep. Everyone's like... Ugh, you bore me. So you guys got to bring your A game today because we're bringing ours. This is going to be an exciting morning. One of you is ready to have a good day. Thank you. I want to look at you all morning now. Uh, so as Susan said, a couple things we just want to acknowledge this morning. One, I think you just said it, but if you're tuning in online, uh, you have tuned into the Orient campus. Can I, yes. can I be heard? About, can I control cameras? Can I like pick which camera can see me online? This one? All right, good, perfect. Follow me. This is totally, this is the, the production team hates when I do this stuff. All right, turn around, turn with me, turn with me, get them off. All right, so I want on three, because these are our peeps too, I want you to say hi to everybody watching online. You ready? One, two, three. Hey! <laughs> so glad you're with us. Let us know where you're watching from. All right, a couple quick things. I love it. Y'all probably got an email. Uh, if you didn't, you're gonna be like, I didn't get this email. So we sent out an email in the last couple of weeks uh, with an update as to where we are at in this senior leader search. And uh, I'm assuming at this point, if you didn't even get the email, the word has traveled enough that Craig Springer, uh, at the end of the process, felt like it was not the right role for him and pulled his name out. Uh, we have been, I think as a staff, uh, elders, uh, as a church, we're all kind of taken back a little bit and going, oh, oh, oh. And trying to figure out, okay, well, what does that mean and where do we go from here? I just want to continue to remind you of a few things. And I know some of you saw different videos that a lot of our campuses posted uh, the day of and the day after that announcement and that news came. But I think the essence of what all of us are saying that I think is so important in this moment is to continue to remember that the one person who has never said no to us is Jesus Christ. The one person who is the senior most pastor of this church and every church is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not shocked by this. He's not surprised by this. As a matter of fact, in my belief of how God operates, it all falls into what is his sovereign hand and his sovereign plan. So whatever God is up to, he's still up to it. And nothing has changed that for him. And on the positive side... You're back to having Craig as your only Craig again. So there you go. Uh, so I was getting a little used to the OG, though. 
He was, you know, I did like I knew, the OG name. I knew he was so going to do that. I lost the OG, mm-hmm. but anyways. Yeah, I love just the thought that God does not have a plan B. It's always a plan A. He knew exactly what I was going to happen. And you know what? Clearly, he is still very much at work because Easter was off the charts around this place. Crazy. Could you believe it? No, it was All right, good. I have some numbers. You want to hear them? Yeah, hear for them. What, for what it's worth on numbers, and just so you know, it's not about numbers for us. It's just the privilege of being able to present what we presented and really just have a place have a place for people to come for hope mm-hmm. and for encouragement. So Easter, we had about 18,000 people across all the campuses attend, which is a lot. Actually, 18,478, but no <laughs> pastor math here. Just to be specific. Right? And you thought that was stream numbers included. It wasn't. So streaming, oh. you guys at home, 6,900 people streamed in. So I can't add that together this quickly, but somewhere around 2,400, 24,000 people. Your UP is showing a little, Susan. I missed a zero, but (laughs) anyway. All right, you guys, we are so glad that you're here. Do me a favor. I don't know if we have to crunch in a ton today, but we would love for you to say something to your neighbor. Tell them what you're going to do to chill or what you're going to throw on the grill. Got that? (laughs) All right, you go. All right, so stand up. Just say hello to somebody really quick. What are you going to do today to chill, or what are you throwing on the grill? Today we are starting a new series It's going to take us for the next three weeks. It's going to be a look in the beginning days of the development and the growth of the church as seen through the book of Acts and the Bible. And in today, what I want to do with us is I want to start this whole series off by looking at one of, I think in many churches, one of the most overlooked and under-acknowledged aspects of God. Paul writes about it this way. Chapter 15 of the book of Romans, he says this in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. May he fill you with all peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. And here's how all that happens. By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I think, is one of the more either misunderstood or untalked about aspects of who God is and the power it is that he makes available to us. And I want us just for a minute to kind of, as we're going to sit here still for another minute, I want you to imagine if you could audibly hear God speak through his spirit to you this morning, some of what I think he may say will be some of this here on the screens.
You come. 
You know, when Matthias throws his hands up in the air and takes 10 steps back and drops his guitar, it's, uh, he's in it. Hey, I just want to let you know, go ahead and have a seat. I want to let you know, um, some of you sing that line, I'm so in love, and that's you saying it to God. For those of you that you're still trying to figure out God, if there is and who is, is Jesus and how that all works, here's what I want you to know. He's singing that to you. There's a verse in the Bible that's been one of my favorite for a long time. Zephaniah 3.15 says that God actually sings songs over us. Nobody does that unless they're in love with somebody. I, I sing songs over my little girls. Once I tried to write poetry and sing it over my wife. It didn't last long. But I did it because I love her. I love them. Never sing over you because you don't want to hear my voice. But because I love them so much, I'll sing over them. God sings over you. So I just want you to hear that today. If you're saying, God, I am so in love with you, it's because you realize he's so in love with you. But for those of you, you're not sure what to make of him yet, just know this. He's singing, I am so in love with you to you. Thank you. Thank you. So this morning we're going to launch into this series in Acts. And the whole, the whole effort, the whole goal is to see what it was that began to happen in the days following the resurrection of Jesus. For some people, it was a rumor that they had only heard about as it began to spread. For others, they were the ones spreading the news because they had seen him, they had witnessed him, they had talked to him after his resurrection. But here, here's what's interesting, and I think it, it warrants us to lean into after a big weekend like Easter, is what happened next? Particularly with the disciples, who were the ones that were carrying this story around of the resurrection of Jesus and beginning to spread it everywhere because... What you would witness in them in the days, weeks, and months following the resurrection would do one of two things. It would either validate that their story was indeed true based on what you see in them and from them, or it would incriminate them that they made the whole thing up. In other words, in the days and in the weeks and in the months and in the years following the resurrection, do you see the disciples just kind of going back to what life was prior to that or that their lives are different? Do you see them living for the same things that they lived for pre the resurrection or are they now post the resurrection? Are they living for entirely different purposes, entirely different meanings and values and desires? If you look at them, do you see that post the resurrection they just appear to to have gotten really good at telling folklore. Or if the resurrection really did happen as they claimed, as so many of us believe, you would assume then to see that their lives didn't just demonstrate a message or something that felt folklorish, but in fact was infused with power and signs that was maybe the clarity and the 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 honest, open reality that in fact they had indeed been commissioned by and sent by the God of heaven and earth and that everything that they were doing was not just their idea generating good humanitarian efforts. And so I just think it's important for a, for a few weeks to camp in those early days of, of 
the book of Acts and after the resurrection and what did Jesus begin to do with his disciples and through them and what does what they did and how they did it and the power they did it in, what does it speak to their message and their claim that Jesus was in fact alive? So that's what we're gonna do and today we're gonna camp really where I think Jesus was setting them up for even before he left, which is that when he was gone, someone would take his place. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna kind of dive in and see what it is that God has to say for us this morning and to us. Father, I just want to ask that in the next little bit of our time that you would, as the song sang, that you would fall fresh on us. That this wouldn't just be a go through the motions. It wouldn't just be a church service. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a religious thing, but that there would be a very clear sense that we were tangling up with the God of creation this morning. And that you would do what is necessary to transcend space and time, distance, doubt, struggles and difficulties and all of it, press through all of it to grab us at a deep heart level this morning, I pray, to increase our awareness of your affection for us and the power of the Holy Spirit that you have offered to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we uh, always, at this point in the morning, just want to take a minute, pause, collect up our offering. Receive that up. Want to uh, actually want to read something for you. I don't know why I'm looking at the floor. My phone's in my pocket. Uh, I just got this in the last couple of days. Some of you know that one of my jobs here at Kensington is to work with church planners, um, work with our church planning department. Actually, Sam and I both do. And I just got this from one of our church planners that launched last year in Detroit, a church called uh, Metro City Church. Uh, his name is Josh Shockey. Do we, do we have the picture? I'm so last minute. This, you guys are amazing. I literally just sent them, this to them like five minutes ago. So this is a picture Josh just sent me the other day. He says, hey, Craig, I just want you to know uh, I'm praying for you and hoping that you're doing well. Just wanted to take a moment and say thank you because you and Kensington really helped us through a very difficult financial time as a church over the past year. MCC is growing every week, and we saw four salvations this last Sunday. The life-changing stories that we are seeing every Sunday is incredible. You guys at Kensington will forever be a part of the MCC story. Thank you. We are truly grateful. So they, they launched in a CrossFit gym downtown where they're going in, and they're setting up every week. They're portable, tearing down, reversing the whole thing at the end of the day. And the owner of the CrossFit gym is now also starting to attend and leaning in. So they're just having an amazing impact. And here's why I tell you all that. Because when we have moments like this where the offering happens, I want you to always remember this is not about money. It is about trust in Jesus and mission for his kingdom. And you are making those moments happen right there. So here's how we do it. If you want to be a part of this, we would love to have you join. If you are already a part of it, you know how to do it. Uh, if you're not going to do anything online, you can do it physical. There's boxes in the back as you leave. And we would love to have you just continue to join us. And we're thankful for those of you that are. Okay, so here's where we're going today. Book of Acts uh, is the book that records the moment that the disciples start taking on the full mission of Jesus to themselves. He's modeled it, he's lived it, he's passed it on, and this is the moment that they go full devotion. Like, everything's in their hands now. Like, he's given the whole mission over to them, and he said, now you go into all the world. Preach it, baptize Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. This is all you. And so as the early church starts to grow and expand, you start to see in the book of Acts some of the most incredible moments like unbelievable, miraculous moments that start to manifest as the church really leans in, as the people of God go, all right, 
all in, all the chips, center of the table. This is what we live for. And so Acts records some of the most incredible moments that you'll see. And throughout the book of Acts, you will see two, two different things, almost like two different camps, if you will. You'll see on one hand some of the most practical teaching on what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be dedicated to him, to be the church he instilled us to be. And then you also see, in conjunction with that, you see these unbelievable signs and wonders and miracles from, from tongues and healing and prophecy and, and raising the dead. And so what, what people tend to do, depending on your church background, is if you have more of a, a Pentecostal church background or a charismatic church background, then, then you might tend to camp in, in the side of the signs and the wonders. Like, that's what you gravitate towards in Acts. If you grew up in more of a background like I did, where it was more Father, Son, and Holy Bible, and you didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, like, you camp more in the practical side. You, you camp more on the side of the doctrine and the teachings and just the instructions that we find all throughout the book of Acts. The key is not to camp in one or the other, to camp in both. And so here's, here's a temptation this morning. For some of you that come from more of a Pentecostal background, maybe, or a charismatic background, there's going to be a point this morning where you're going to probably find yourself getting a little excited. And you're going to think, all right, I knew it would eventually happen. Bring it on. Let's stop playing and let's get to slaying. Come on, Craig. Right? And I just want to tell you, like, calm down. Because here, here's the reality. Throughout the book of Acts, you will indeed find some of the most incredible things that you'll read about in the Bible. I just listed some of them. Speaking in tongues, prophetic words, healings, raising the dead. Now listen to me. Eyes on me. They're amazing. They're in there. They're not the point of the book. Now others of you, if you grew up more of a camp like I did, like you're already weirded out. You, you've looked over your shoulder once or twice for the exit. You're telling yourself right now, you're like, I'm, I'm going to go use the bathroom at home. Like, you're, you're, you're ready to go already. You're like, this is, oh boy, this is going to get goofy, isn't it? Listen, if you think that we are going to be the people that God intends us to be and to accomplish what he intends us to accomplish without the active power of the Holy Spirit, you are wrong. You're wrong. So to both camps, I would say we need to lean a little bit towards the other. Now, for those of you that grew up with no church background, you're thinking, holy, something else, what did I get myself into this morning? And you're definitely ready to go. So I just want you to know, I'm going to do my best at some point or another to unnerve us all a little bit. I'm an equal offender today, so hopefully it won't be offense, but I hope that we all find ourselves squirming just a little bit. So you ready? Okay. Book of John is where we're going to start because Jesus made the promise that this was how it was all going to go down before he actually left. John chapter 16, verse 5. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Mind you, back in chapter 14, they've already had a conversation about death and they're freaked out and they're like, oh, we don't know where to go and we don't know where you're going. So they're, they're already in a posture of worry about him, his, his longevity with them, about what this is all going to turn into. And so that's still being a bit of the rumbling in their soul. This is the conversation he has. But now I'm going to say to him who sent me, none of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Skip down to verse 12. 
I do have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. And he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So I want you to put yourself for just a minute in the shoes of the disciples. This is a group of men that have banked everything on Jesus. You talk about going all in in the center of the table. They've done that. This is a group of men that have been following him now for three years. They believe his words. They're leaning in. They are participating in this promise that what he is about is the redemption of all mankind. He's going to fix everything. He's going to make everything right. He's going to undo all the wrongs. Like, this is it. They have left friends. They have left businesses. Like, you can't be more committed. They are all in. And so here's this moment, only three short years in, where in many ways there is not the evidence yet that what he has promised is happening. And three short years in, he looks at me and says, I'm out. Like, I'm going to leave. And he says to take it, like, is that sinking in? He takes it to the next level, and he says to him, but don't worry, it's for your good. Like, this is the worst breakup line moment of all times, right? It's not you, it's me. There's more out there for you. There's somebody better for you. Like, this is literally like God's breaking up with them, it feels like. Are we getting dumped by God? But this is that moment. And he says very clearly to them, it's better that I go. Like, listen to this. Because sometimes we're like, oh, I just wish I could walk with Jesus. Like, if I could have been like the disciples and like been with it, like physically, if he was here with me. Listen, he said to them, it's actually better that I'm not. It's better that I go. Because when I go, I'm going to send you the Spirit. So I want you to understand, this is Jesus already setting his disciples up. And he's making clear, not happened yet. There's going to be a transfer. I go, he comes. Okay? So I want you to see, again, towards the end, he's going to remind them one more time just before he goes. So Acts, here we go, chapter 1, verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised you, which you heard me speak about. So he's he's reminding them. I've already talked to you about this. This isn't new news. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the, day or the, t- the dates or the time the Father has set by his own authority. And then th- this verse 8, this is a, if you've been any time in the church, you've probably heard this before. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, usually when this passage is taught, for me, nine times out of ten, where it camps is in that last, that last phrase in verse 8. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. They're in Jerusalem. Judea is the next ring out. Samaria is the people they don't want to go to. And then he says, so you're not just going to keep expanding and expanding. He says, you know what, we'll just sum it all up. You're going to the whole world. 
Like you're going to go to the ends of the earth. And so usually when, when this passage in Acts is taught about, the emphasis is placed there. That's where we get the sense of urgency to go. That's where we get the belief that what we do as a church is not about what we accomplish in the four walls. This is such a small part of it. It's that Jesus says, no, you get out of here. You go. That's your mission until I return again. Here's the problem. If that's the only place we put all the emphasis, it's not where Jesus began. Where did he start? He didn't start with a mission, he started with the power. He says, here's the fuel that will be in your tanks that will accomplish the mission. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, he will give you power. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We do ourselves an injustice if we put only the emphasis in this passage on the mission to go and neglect the fuel and the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to do that very work of going. So you go over to chapter 2, and this is where the Holy Spirit makes his entrance. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now, the day of Pentecost is just a big celebration. This has been going on for generations. This is not a thing only because of the day of the Holy Spirit showing up. This has been happening it's the, it's the festival of the harvest. It's a celebration of the grain harvest that's just happened. So people from all regions are gathering together. So think probably not quite as crazy as Mardi Gras, but this is a wild time. Like people are here celebrating, they're partying, they're having a great time. This is what, and tons of people from all over. So this is a scene. This is a setting of what's happening, and the disciples are right smack in the middle of it. Verse 2. Suddenly a sound like blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separate on them and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. There were God-fearing men and Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't these the people speaking Galileans? How is it then that they hear that we hear them in our own native language? Skip down to verse 12. Here, here's what they conclude about how we hear them. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. So some of them are like, oh, clearly these guys are partying like everybody else and they've just drunk too much. Now, when you read through the book of Acts... There are two different forms of tongues that we hear talked about and we see represented. One seems to be a more angelic way, a supernatural way that God gives an ability to speak that needs interpretation. That's a thing. That's not where we're going this morning. And that's not what's happening here. This is a moment where the tongues being talked about is literally a moment where there is this supernatural sweep of the Holy Spirit that comes in. As Jesus said what happened, he left few days pass, here comes the Holy Spirit, and as he shows up, in the instant he does, he gives the disciples the ability to speak in languages they have never learned so that everybody around them can hear about Jesus. Like, this is, this is like you or I right now just automatically being able to speak in a language you haven't heard before. Like, you're just, uh, like, I'm just up here, and all of a sudden, I just start speaking in Russian. And I just finish the message, and you're like, what just happened? That's actually the only Russian I know, but it always makes me feel cool to say it. So, but this is, this is that moment. 
And so everyone is just like leaning in because they're like, wait, we know these guys and we know where they're from. They don't know our language and yet they're speaking to us in our language. So they lean in. And as they lean in, Peter gives the first post-resurrection message to a listening crowd. And he talks about sin. And he talks about salvation. And he talks about repentance. He talks about the crucifixion. He talks about the resurrection. And he even looks at the crowd at one point. And as he talks about the crucifixion of Jesus, he says to them, you killed him. Like you remember, this is Mardi Gras. I mean, people are here for fun. They're here to party. And here stands up Peter in a language he doesn't even understand. And he's never learned. And he's telling the audience, you killed Jesus. And yet what happens at the conclusion of it all is an explosive moment of growth in the church. Acts 2, 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I love this picture because it doesn't just say 3,000 believed. It says on that day and that moment, 3,000 were baptized. I don't know how they organized that. I don't know how, I don't know what the logistics of that were. I guarantee you nobody was planning on that. Peter was like, I did not see this one coming. But somehow in that moment, on that day, 3,000 men and women were baptized in the name of Jesus and the church began to blow up in a good way. And, and from then on, most experts believe that over the next 100 years, that group essentially that spawned the birth of the church in that moment, that over the next 100 years grew to about 25,000 people. But here's what's incredible. Over the next three generations, or just more than three generations, that number grew to 25 million people worldwide dedicating their lives to Jesus. 25 million. And, and here's what's been interesting. I just read this week that the growth rate of the early church and just the multiplication, had that trend continued in the same way, then today the amount of Christians would be total to the population of the earth, which is 7 billion people, times 250,000. That's incredible. And, and here's what I want you to hear. It's not just about the numbers. But every single one of those numbers in the early church, when you are three generations away and 25 million people, are men, women, and children who are experiencing radically changed lives. Families that are being changed, communities that are being changed, neighborhoods that are being changed, cities that are being changed. Those numbers represent men, women, and children that were having very real personal encounter with the God of creation. And here's the thing. Even if church history is of zero interest to you, you're like, or, or if Jesus is little more than folklore, you have to wonder and ask yourself, how in the world did a group of men and women who were uneducated, who were marginalized, under-resourced, and even persecuted and illegal, how in the world that group of men and women literally turned the world upside down in a beautiful way? And not just turn them upside down because, you know, this group of 25 million people began to gather in church services. No, 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 no. It was that group of men and women that spread around the world and caused some of the greatest movements of good that have ever happened, spawning off and to create some of the greatest universities, hospitals, medical efforts, some of the greatest forms of art, architecture, literature to ever take place was a part of what birthed out of this growing group of people dedicating themselves to Jesus Christ as Lord, creator, crucified, and resurrected again. And you just have to wonder, how in the world 
did they accomplish all that? And this is where you could begin to wrongly interpret the book of Acts as we move through the book of Acts in the next couple of weeks, particularly as it, as it has implication on church growth and church movement. Because what you could do is go, well, I mean, you, you read the early days of the book of Acts, and you got, you got people speaking in languages they've never learned. You've got incredible miracles like the dead being raised. So I guess that's how you get it done. We just need more incredible, explosive moves of the Holy Spirit manifesting his power among us. And I would say, maybe. I think that what God does at one point in human history isn't necessarily the same thing that he will do in the same way at other points in human history. But I do believe that in what we see in the book of Acts, and this is why I wish in some ways we weren't spending three weeks here. I wish we were spending 13 weeks here because there is so much richness and depth in the book of Acts. But I want to take and I want to condense down into what I think are the two primary things that would explain the movement of the church in the early days in the book of Acts that we see. And don't camp. This is where we make the mistake. It's all the signs and the wonders and it's the big ooh, ah, miraculous things God did. That was manifest out of two other things that I see as the primary things things that the church did then that the church must do now. Number one is absolute, complete dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. Not what we often make church, which is more of the CEO business model driven thing. Now, is there a place for organization, for business, for structure, for strategy? Yep. But too often that's where we begin in the church. Too often, that's even where we begin in our own lives. And the early church, I think, realized that from the moment they woke up, it didn't matter what they did. They didn't have to work for the church. They were just followers of Jesus Christ, that what they had to do was learn to depend desperately every day on the active, knowable, experienceable, personable power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Number two, radical obedience to whatever he led them to do. Sometimes we ask, man, why don't we see the things in the church today that we saw in the early church? Those are your two answers. The early church was made up of men and women that desperately lived lives dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit and radically obeyed everything God led them to do through that Holy Spirit. That's where the power of the church came from. That we can still do. And so I think even as you sit here, here's the reality. This church that you're sitting in right now has been that experience. For 30 plus years, this is a church that the experience of this church has been dependence on the Holy Spirit, radical obedience to what he said, and then doing it for the benefit of other people, for the one. See, if, if, we, if we miss this, then what we end up doing is not just turning the church into more of a business instead of a relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit, but we also end up making it about us. Because the radical obedience part to whatever God would lead us to do, I guarantee you, it is almost always to the benefit of someone else. And yet what we so often have done is created a church movement that's just about us. Give me what I want, feed me, meet my needs. I don't like this, I'll go next door. And that's never been what the move of the church was supposed to be about. That was never what the kingdom of God was. Archbishop William Temple said it this way, the church is the only society on earth that exists for the benefit of its non-members. And that's why I say this very thing that we're sitting in and a part of right now, it is an experience of depending on the power of the Holy Spirit, 
doing, radically doing what he leads to be done and doing it for the benefit of other people. I wasn't around for the start of this one, though, so I want to tell you really quickly about the one I was around for the start of. In 2005, I was working at a church as a youth pastor and had a very clear moment where I felt like God was beginning to nudge me that I needed to step down from that job and do something else. And I had this period of time, probably about two years, where I didn't know exactly what the something else was. And so I I can't sum up that two years quickly enough, so I'll just say it was two years of of just wrestling both with God and even with my wife. Like, I don't know what God wants me to do. Am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to do something else? I don't feel like I'm in the right place, but I don't know what the next place is. And it got to a point where she was done with the conversation. I remember one morning at breakfast, she says to me, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Like, just go figure it out. Like, let's just do something. But for two years, you've been in this place of like straddling the, I don't think I'm where I'm supposed to be, but I don't know where to put my foot down on what the next thing is. And so I have this moment one day, and, and I'll tell you this, I've not had moments like this since. Not this clear, but a moment where I knew that God was speaking to me and telling me what the next was going to be. So I'm out one day at Costco getting gas, and some of you, I think, have heard this story before. I'm going to tell it quickly. I'm getting gas one day at Costco, and I notice next door to me there's an empty building. It's an old home quarters building. You remember those? Kind of like Home Depot, but it's shut down. It's been shut down for a while. Broken glass, like parking lots just overgrown with weeds, and it's a disaster. The lights are falling down in the parking lot. Like, that's the scene. So I'm pumping gas, and I have this moment where I just, I'm praying. I'm like, God, I don't know what's next. I don't know what you want me to do. I don't feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be, but I don't know what the next thing is. And I just have this moment where I feel like he says, go drive around that building. Like, either I'm losing my mind or God speaking. Either way, I'm going to do what I feel like I'm supposed to do, I guess. So I get in my car. I'm done pumping the gas. I drive around the building. I'm in front of the building. I'm like, no idea what this is about. And I feel like he says, do it again. I'm like, do it again. Okay? So I do it again. The second time around, I have this moment where I see this car in the back, two cars, actually, side by side. And I notice that there is a couple in one of the cars. Let your imagination go. And, uh, and I'm like, that was odd. I don't know what that's about, and I don't know why I'm here, and I'm sitting in the lot, and I feel like God said to me, get out of your car and pray. I'm like, what am I praying for? I don't, know, I don't even know what I'm praying for. And so I, I do end up getting out of the car, but there's this, like, parking lot where everybody's passing through to other places. And so as I'm out of my car, like, it's, I felt awkward. I felt like a spectacle because nobody else is in this abandoned lot, and I'm just standing there alone out of my car. So I grab a pen and a piece of paper, and I look up the for sale sign. I just start faking it like I'm, oh, I may buy this. I'm going to write down the number. And I get back in the car, and I hear, I hear clear as day. I just hear God kind of whisper into my head. He goes, Get out of the car and embarrass yourself. If you won't be faithful with little, you won't be entrusted with much. I was like, okay. So I got out and I straddled that building like I was getting patted down. And I just prayed. I was like, God, give me clarity. I don't know what I'm praying for. Am I supposed to have this building? Am I supposed to go into the home quarters business? I don't know what I'm doing. And I got back in my car. And this is the clearest moment I've ever heard God speak. I feel like as I sat back in my car... He whispered to me, what is now a place where sin prevails in its shadows, I will make a place where my name is praised and I will draw back my scattered. And that was the moment I knew God was telling me to go back and quit my job and start a church to go after the one. Here's why I tell you that. I haven't always made the right decisions. When God has moved and when he has pushed me to do something that I don't know how to or I don't want to, I've not always made the right decision. That day I did. And for the next 13 years, I was a part of an incredible team of people that led that church to do exactly what God said it would, to reach people that were far from him, that never had an idea that there was actually a God over creation that knew them and loved them. 
And sometimes when I tell that story, people ask me, well, why in the world then would you have left? Something like that. Same reason I started it. God said to. So you might go, okay, well, what, what does that mean for me? Like, am I supposed to go start a church? Or what do I do? I'm going to give you one really last thing and super practical when we're talking about listening to the power of the Holy Spirit, obeying what he says, being radically obedient to him, the Apostle Paul, who would later give his life to Jesus, did not begin as a Christ follower, hated Christians, was doing everything he could to destroy this movement. He ends up becoming a follower of Christ. And, and Paul, who was a Pharisee, you have to understand, he, he's cerebral, he's intellectual, um, he, he's not an emotional guy necessarily by personality, you would assume. So not somebody that's, that's necessarily drawn to all the mystical and the supernatural. And yet once he meets Jesus in that kind of a way, radically transforms him to the point that he not only writes some of the best instructions of what it means to live and follow Jesus, but also some of the best instructions about leaning into the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul writes in Corinthians Uh, particularly chapter 13 and 14, even 12, about some of the power of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does, how to lean into him. In chapter 14, verse 1, though, he says this, which I think can't be overlooked. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. So he's saying, hey, there are things the Holy Spirit does, there are gifts, I want you to eagerly desire them. But then he says this, especially prophecy. So the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church, and he gives this whole letter as he's writing about spiritual gifts and the works of the Holy Spirit, he says, I want you to eagerly desire these things. But then he puts one at the top, and he says, but here's the one especially I want you to desire, and it's prophecy. This is where some of you are like, oh, boy, it's about to get weird, isn't it? No, 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 no. It can, but it doesn't have to. Because I believe that one of the clearest ways that the Holy Spirit empowers us with words of prophecy is words of encouragement to one another. The Bible is laced with other places that say spur one another on to love and good deeds. Encourage one another as long as it's called today. And I think if we as the people of God really began to listen for, long for, Holy Spirit, I want to know your voice and your leading in my life. I want to do what you tell me to do. And if just one of those things would be to speak words of encouragement, edification, building one another up across the board throughout the church, I think that one thing alone could radically transform the landscape of the church. I'm going to give you one last picture of how that's happened recently and what that looked like in in my own life. And so to do that, I want to invite my new friend Aaron up on stage with me. Would you guys just welcome Aaron as he comes up and takes stage? So I'm going to tell you a quick story, and uh, I think it was back in, um, back in January. I was trying to remember the date, actually. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, a few months ago now. A few months ago, yeah. So back in January, uh, there was a Sunday morning. I was speaking, and I think we were, we were in, the, if you remember this, it was called the Journey to Remember series, looking at Moses and the movement of the Israelites out of Egypt and what we could learn about our own journey as a church. And there was one particular Sunday that, I just remember feeling really stupid about everything I said that day. Like, as a speaker, there's just some Sundays where if you do any kind of, like, public speaking or presentations, and you, you probably know these moments, there are certain moments where you just walk out of the room and you're like, man, I'm an idiot. Like, I don't nothing I just said made sense. So I had this one particular Sunday that was, it was odd. It was so, so strong. Like, almost from the get-go, I just felt really 
Let's just be honest with you. I felt really insecure as I took the stage. Felt really weird about everything I was trying to say that day. There, there's a couple things I forgot to say, and then I fumbled something I wanted to say, and it was just, I, I, I walk off after the first service. Matthias even comes up to me, a guy who was singing here, and he grabs me in the wings that day, and he goes, hey, are you all right? I'm like, man, no. Like, that was the stupidest message I've ever given. He's like, I thought it was great. I'm like, I, well, then, well, then you didn't listen. And I'm just, like, I'm just wrestling really hard this whole this whole day, and then the second service, same thing, and I just, this one phrase just kept rolling through my head all day. It was just so stupid, so stupid. Everything I said today was just stupid. It was just really strong. And so, so I'm giving that message that day. I've never met you at this point. You're sitting out there, and, and tell me what, what, tell everybody what you're experiencing that day as I'm giving that message. Yeah, so to me, um, it was obvious that you were, were going through something, and I was sitting over here uh, with, with my daughter, just the way that you abruptly started the service, and then some, some words that you had mixed in there, um, and I just leaned over to her, and I was like, man, he's, mm. there's something going on. Um, and then I felt compelled. I was like, hey, I, I should say something to him after the service. Um, didn't get to, to meet up with you uh, after. But then even driving home uh, with my daughter, I told her, I just leaned over. I was like, man, he was under attack from the devil over something today. And, and it was just, to me, uh, you know, in my head, it was, it was clear that you were going through something. So I'm going through something. You and I have never met. We've never talked. There's even other people here like Matthias. It's like, dude, that's a great thing. He's not sensing anything. He's not seeing anything in me. You're feeling something. It grows into the next day. Like this is how the enemy works. Like he's just in my head. So the next day I've got a a project at home I'm doing in my basement right now. So I'm down there hammering away all day. And, And even into Monday, I've just got, you're just so stupid. That message yesterday was so stupid. And then I get this text message, literally out of nowhere. I think it's, uh, it's 528 in the afternoon. And I'm just in the basement working. There's just a number, no name. We've never met. And here's a text. Your words are not stupid. Yeah, like, so just random, out of the blue from a, a random number. Right. Um, and and uh, to this... It, at the same time, you're in your basement working on your project. I'm in my basement working on, on my project. You know, yeah, we're, we're, know we're the doing, doing the same thing. Um, and you had been on my mind, right, since that Sunday, and, and we're now into Monday. Um, and something that I did out of the norm for me was that morning, I, I hit my knees that Monday because you were so heavy on my mind, and I just said, mm-hmm. Lord, tell him that his words are not stupid. And it was then that the Holy Spirit stabbed me in the heart, and he said, you tell him. You know, God speaks to you in these long prophetic sentences. He said three words to me, you tell him. That's awesome. You know? That's so, awesome. So <laughs> how, uh, how this unfolded, um, I stalked you a little bit. I had to get a contact information. And um, that being said, you should probably update your LinkedIn profile, too. I, um, I probably should. It's, it's been a minute, yeah. So I couldn't get like an update. I, I wanted to be more direct. My wife told me, just send him an email. Um, I could have done that, but I wanted to be more direct. And Monday, I, I was driving home past this place, and I saw mm. one car in the parking lot. Um, and in my head, um, I'm like, oh, no, he's there. He's crying to himself that his words are so stupid, and you didn't say anything to him. You should have done it. And I was like, oh, my goodness. We're not going to have a pastor anymore. <laughs> So right then, I, I click mm. up onto the, uh, the LinkedIn or the um, 
Kensington website. I don't condone doing this driving and scrolling at the same time, but <laughs> it, it has your email on there. So mm-hmm. I said, okay, fine, I'm going to send him an email. And when I did that, it brought up the option to send you an iMessage. So right there, it was like, mm-hmm. here's your sign. You know, mm-hmm. that's when you send them. And, and that's how I got more of a direct contact with you. And I just said, your words are not stupid. So it wasn't, I wasn't uh, radically obedient immediately. Mm. Um, it took some, some unfolding. But here's the thing, and my wife has learned this about me over the years. Um, Sunday's the worst day to tell me anything. It's the hardest day to hear it because I'm just exhausted by the end of the day. So I actually think God knew that I wouldn't receive it until Monday. Oh, yeah, it was all part of the plan, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, so my response to your words are not stupid was just simply, uh, who is this? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> And I, man, that moment was so odd where I'm just like, uh, how does this guy know? Somebody's legit spying on me and in my head. And, and here's why I tell you that. And because I hate, to be honest with you, I was really hesitant in some ways to tell you this story because I, I hate being the point of a story. So please hear me. This is not me going, I really hope everybody encourages me now. No, no, no. I really hope everybody encourages everybody. I hope you listen to the Holy Spirit speak to you about what somebody around you may need to hear. The encouragement, the edification. We have a world, some of us families, that the experience in it is being torn down constantly. And if it's true that our God sings over us as he tells us he does, and if we can believe that he loves us, then I think he longs to use his body to build up his body. If we just learned to lean into that one aspect of the power of the Holy Spirit when Paul says, above all, above all, I pray that you would long to prophesy, that you would speak encouragement to one another as the Holy Spirit leads you to. I'm telling you, it could change the landscape of the church. It really had a profound impact on me that day that shook me out of something that I feel like the enemy himself was dragging me into. So I just wanted to unweird the nature of the Holy Spirit. And what Paul meant when he said, speak prophecy. So, Aaron, thanks, dude. Appreciate you you being up here. Appreciate you so much, man. As our band comes back out to bring the day to a close, I just want you to remember this. The defining factors that made up the power and the movement of the early church, hear me. It was not the trained elite leaders in the church. It was not an abundance of resources. It was not the qualified strategists that could figure everything out. The power of the church in its earliest days was normal, ordinary, everyday men and women who leaned on and lived into the power of the Holy Spirit with absolute dependence and then radically obeyed everything he told them to do. That's what the early church was built on. That's what this church can be built on. God help us. That's what we can do today. That's what we must do today for the sake of one another, for the sake of our king, and for the sake of the one.
I'm so thankful, dude, that you took the risk of sending that text and you weren't like, I don't know, yeah, that's weird, I'm not going to do that. I'm so thankful even more so for all of you who will have moments where I just know the Holy Spirit will tell you to do something and when you do, the church will be built as a result of it. I'm, I'm going to give you one resource I would encourage you to look into if you haven't already. Francis Chan, who's a pastor and an author, wrote a book called The Forgotten God. It's an incredible resource, and I would encourage you, if you're going, hey, I, I need to understand more what is so significant about God saying, it's good for me when Jesus said to go, because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and how we can often neglect him. I want you to get this book and read it. I think it'll be a really good read for you. Also, as you're walking out this morning, we've got a prayer team up front here to pray for you and love on you before you go out the doors. And know this, if you're new, just visiting with us, maybe back from a long time away, or just been here for a while but not really connected yet. There's gonna be a bunch of us from up here, myself and some of the guys here are just gonna be out at the hub today. We'd love just a couple minutes before you leave to say hi, make a personal introduction, let you know that we're glad that you're with us. Thanks for being here this morning. Have a great rest of the week. We'll see you next Sunday. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.